Grace and peace to each of you here this morning. God bless you for your presence. Proverbs talks about the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching the inward parts. If you're here today, your spirit is a lamp. It's searching even your own heart. It's searching the hearts of others. It's a lamp. And it's just blessed to have each of you here this morning to, to bring light. And I count it a, a privilege, opportunity to share the word with you this morning. Because in so much that it may be a little bit of a burden, it's a privilege. Because there's many of you here today, brethren, that could share from your heart the things of God and what he has put on your heart. And not everybody has that specific opportunity to share in the way I am um, entrusted with this morning, but we do speak, and we have, the, we have a voice, so let us use it for the glory of God in the, in the way he has given for us to fulfill his purposes. I appreciate Brother Nelson sharing uh, real-life experience about his cow, and I prayed for that cow. Um, it wasn't necessarily just a, a big fervency of spirit to me, but I did pray for the cow, and I didn't know if it, it had survived or not. When you said there, there came a turn at, um, on Wednesday that there was a transition, I thought, well, maybe that cow died. So was, was I going to share that I would prayed for a cow that died? Well, at least in that extent, it would have lived that much longer. So we never know what our prayers avail. In knowing what to pray for and, and what requests to bring to God, I thought of a little bit, I sense the, the time that we're living in now. There's a phrase in Ecclesiastes where it says, the grasshopper shall be a burden. And I think we relate that maybe to older year, elderly years in that context where little things bother us. But I see that in our day where a grasshopper can be a burden. The little things, uh, let's not forget to pray about them because they can afflict us in the hour we live. It seems like darkness would have it that way. But the light in Goshen needs to shine in our hearts to overcome the darkness. We overcome evil with good. Well, today is Father's Day, and I... Um, It, the last time I preached here was Mother's Day, and I, I didn't bring a Mother's Day message, so I thought, well, I should probably not bring a Father's Day message just because that would show favoritism toward um, fathers. But I, I appreciate that our, our, uh, our calendar honors mothers and fathers, especially in the day where we live, where, where those where those fundamental things of, of what God created, male and female, are being distorted and, and changed and violated. I think in rebellion to God, in the, in the culture that we live, and it made me wonder, will there come a time when, we, when there's an effort to abolish that, those days on our calendar? Mother's Day, Father's Day, because that's being too specific. We're not allowed to, to talk about genders and what that is. 
but I, I'm thankful for the, uh, for the thought behind the significance that is placed on motherhood and fatherhood. I thought maybe I should bring a, a message on the home and the family situation, um, the importance that is in our experience, but I believe with, with those days, it helps us to remember and to appreciate our fathers and our mothers, it also helps us to sense the weight, if we are a father or mother, that God has placed on that and the significance of that in our experience. God has a heart that people belong. He has placed them in families. He has set up that order and there's a term in the Bible, it talks about the fatherless. The word fatherless appears 43 times in the Bible. But I noticed with interest, in the New Testament, do you know how many times the word fatherless is in the New Testament? One time. I know the New Testament is smaller than the Old Testament, but that ratio, I think, did not follow necessarily that, the volume. And it made me think that, that God had concern for the fatherless in the Old Testament and in the New, but he didn't speak about it much in the New Testament. And possibly because in the New Testament, Jesus opened up the way for God to be our father. He said to pray our father, not my father, everybody's father, if they're willing. God as our father. And you know, if, if, our, if our home situation growing up, say our, our fatherhood experience or our relationship was maybe not quite ideal or good or even bad, I believe God, our Father, is willing and able and ready to step in and fill whatever void or gap existed there. Paul the Apostle began many of his epistles noting that God was our Father. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 68, 6 says, God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those who are bound, who are oppressed in that way. And so the Father of Jesus is our Father. I don't want to diminish the, the importance of, a, of an earthly father and the godly role that plays, the importance of that. But it made me think of the body of Christ, it is a family, it is a unit, it is a structure that God has set up. In many ways, I believe it is the secret place of the Most High. It doesn't take the, the place of the prayer closet in our time with the Lord. But I believe there is a, 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 special, um, a special connection and a, a glory that comes from the assembly and meeting together. The world may not understand this connection. They may not see 
all the, all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And I wonder sometimes if we, if we do ourselves, maybe God's people, do not even realize that close connection that we have. Now, the Bible says that Enoch, in the Old Testament, he walked with God. And, you know, I think God's people can become so involved in walking and doing things for God that we fail to live with God. And I think we need to underscore the, the importance of God's presence and his glory and just his, all the graces that he bestows upon us in that. There was a time in the, in the life of Moses. Moses said, show me thy glory. He besought to see the glory of God. And it came at a time when I believe he was getting discouraged. He had already been up in the mount. He had seen many wonders from God. And remember when the people made a golden calf. They became restless. I think that, that time of waiting was, was a test. But they told Aaron, as for this man Moses, we don't know what became of him. We wot not what has become of this man. And so they made a golden calf. They, they went in, down another road. That gold that they used to make that calf. And I think part of God's anger in that was that the gold, and I wonder where they got the gold, but I know when, when they left Egypt, they plundered the Egyptians. And a lot of that gold ended up, I think, uh, from, from the Egyptians. And God wanted to use that gold. If you see in the building of the tabernacle, they made the ark was covered in gold inside and out. And the mercy seat was solid gold. Where did they get all that gold? It makes you wonder. But here they were using a thing that God had ordained for something righteous and were using it in place of God. Out of that setting, Moses came to a point, he said, who is on the Lord's side? He told the people to get their swords and there was a fight. And it said at the, at the end of that day there fell 3,000 men. I guess because of the disobedience and God's judgment on that. And so I saw in that, I started to make a connection. With the giving of the law, it resulted in 3,000 deaths. But if you go to Acts chapter 2, the giving of the Holy Spirit resulted in 3,000 being saved. There were added unto them about 3,000 souls. It's amazing how some of the things we discuss in Sunday school tie into the sermon. Now, a lot of times I'll look at, at the uh, Sunday school lesson just to see what not to talk about. In other words, I don't want to reteach the Sunday school lesson, but a lot of times those thoughts and things that come in begin to mesh with what I have to share. 
And that whole thing of the law and the prophets and Moses and building this house and what God meant to do there in the Old Testament. Second Corinthians describes that as the ministration of death. So it was not all roses back then. In, in fact, there was a lot of failures. But in the midst of that, we see the hand of God. We see glory. We see wonderful things. So this morning, my encouragement is, is to see the value of the Christian community, the, the thing that God has called us to in this day, in this time, the value of that of, of your own local congregation, but I in no way want to limit um, the love we have for Christ in the church to only our own congregation. There are many that share what we would call like precious faith. Peter uses that term. We, we use that term, like precious faith. And I think often when we, when we talk about like precious faith, what we really mean is like precious practice. Or like precious fashion, the way we connect and, and jive in some of the external things of the Christian life. But Peter talks about this as being precious. He talks about other things that were precious. He talks about the precious promises. He talks about the chief cornerstone. That is precious. A living stone chosen by God. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect. Precious. He talks about the precious blood of Christ. He talks about the trial of your faith being precious. Precious things. Gold is precious to us. It seemed like they had more of that in the Old Testament than we do. But it was still precious. And when it talks about the trial of your faith being precious, as I studied that, it, it's not so much the trial that is precious, but it is the faith that endures through that trial that is precious. The faith that goes through and, and has that proven character. I believe God would have us to see, to sense, and to understand the importance of the church age that we are living in, even if it is the latter day. And sometimes I like to, to call myself part of the church of the latter day saints. We are, I believe, in the late stages of the church age. There have been other dispensations since the beginning of time. There was the law and the prophets, there was Moses, but even before that you had a faithful men such as Enoch and Job. Let's turn to Luke chapter 16. I'd like to read a verse here. 
concerning some words of Jesus and some things he taught. Luke chapter 16. Verse 16. Jesus said, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. I thought about a little bit the meaning behind that pressing into. What, what is that referring to? And I think he, it was the movement that began with John the Baptist. Both John and Jesus had a popular following. There was a move of God. Light had come into the world. You could see it in the crowds of the publicans and the sinners and the Samaritans and, and just much people pressing in to hear Jesus. There were multitudes that sought out Jesus. And even today, I believe we have people pressing in, wanting to find the Lord, wanting to seek the Lord. Jesus seems to be on people's minds. Sometimes he appears in, on the front of magazines. Who is Jesus? What was this man? What was his role? Well, in this chapter, Luke 16, Jesus goes into a story about the rich man and Lazarus. And in that story, both Lazarus and the rich man died. They found themselves on the other side of this world. And by some divine arrangement, it talks about how the, the rich man began to, he found himself in hell. He began to communicate with someone from another uh, dimension or area he saw Lazarus and Abraham now I think there's a lot that could be uh, a lot of different lessons could be brought out or thoughts from this from the teachings of Jesus and from this account but one one might be that when we get to glory or when we get to the other side we will recognize people we didn't know how did this rich man know who Abraham was That was just a thought. But he, he addresses him as Father Abraham. It makes me think that maybe this man was a Jew. And maybe this rich man actually represented the whole Jewish community. And that they were privileged. They had all the, the trappings, the things of God. As God said, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. They, they were a people that had advantages. And so Lazarus may be depicted as those on the outside, seemingly on the outside, the Gentiles, who do not have all that. Who was Lazarus? He was a beggar. He was desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. How many of the Gentiles at that time looked at the Jews and wondered, you know, why can't we have some of that? Why can't we have some of God? And so this rich man, he has a request, among some other things. His request was that Abraham send Lazarus 
back to the rich man's household and give testimony to them to testify to his five brethren that lest they also come to this place of torment. You remember what Abraham said? He didn't say, well, that's a good idea. They need some testimony. He didn't say, well, I can't send Lazarus, so I'll send some that are living, some faithful men that I know. I'll send them. He didn't say any of that. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Who was Moses and the prophets? Well, Moses and the prophets, now Moses was dead. But I believe it was referring to the established program that God had for that time. Moses and the prophets. It was what God had set up in place. For his word to go forth and for his presence to be seen and heard as a witness for that time. So my thought was maybe let's apply this same thought to our church age. What's the, the chances, let's say, Jesus told that story and many think it was true. And I'm not saying whether it's true or false or just the story. And um, I don't think the lesson there is that being rich is necessarily wrong. Or that being poor is equal to salvation. In the beginning of chapter 16, Jesus told another story about a rich man. And in that case, the rich man was presented in somewhat a favorable light. However that is. But someone passed from this life, found themselves in the wrong place of eternity, and somehow, by another divine arrangement, was be able to communicate with, maybe not Abraham, but say, John the Baptist, or some more recent figure in the realms of heaven. Would not their concern be similar to the rich man, to the story of the rich man, go and testify to others I know on earth that they end up not here? What would the answer be to that? And I think it would be similar to Abraham's response. They have Jesus and the apostles, let them hear them. They have Christ in the church, let them hear them. They have the church of the living God. Let them hear them. The spirit and the bride say come. That is what the church is in our day and age. The rich man say, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Well, he was wrong about that. That, that was logic speaking. Logically, that, that would seem like that would, would do the trick, wouldn't it? And maybe there's things we think we could do that would really do the trick, that would really help and witness 
And I think we have a, a part to play in following the Spirit and reaching out to people. But interestingly enough, in Acts, if you read, often the Spirit of God prevented them from going to a certain area. In fact, Jesus did come back from the dead, and they didn't believe him, right? So that kind of proved that was not what was needed. We have, you could say we have Moses and the prophets. We have that testimony to us. But we have much more than that. We have apostles and prophets. We have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Our toolbox, our tool shed is, has a lot more tools than you could say in the Old Testament. Abraham said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. If they hear not Christ in the church, neither will they be persuaded, I believe, otherwise. And that is hearing the established protocol and program and setup that God has ordained for our present day and time. Namely, the church of Jesus Christ. You know, I think people are looking for answers. I'd like to turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Let's read a little bit of perspective from Isaiah. Chapter 8, verse 16. It says, Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel, from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. I think what Isaiah was saying here is that we are the sign. That is the sign the Lord has given you. Take heed. This is your sign. But what do people often do? Verse 19, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep, and that mutter, should not a people seek after their God, for the living to the dead? The thought there, the living for the dead, is the que it asks the question, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? That is the thought there. But the answer is in verse 20, to the law and to the prophets. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. There's a deeper problem than just them being able to see the right thing. They have to have internal, the internal lamp of the Lord on their spirit. In verse 21, they shall pass through it hardly beset and hungry, and it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. Now that looking upward is not in, in the right sense that we look upward for the Lord. They are looking upward in terror and in a wrong way, as it talks about in Revelation. They will look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. It makes me wonder if 
so much of, of, of what it seems like is pushing the spirit of the age, and I think it is a spirit of antichrist. That, that spirit of antichrist isn't just against Christ. It's also the, the meaning of anti means in place of Christ. And that's why so much of it is not content to just be who they are and let us alone. No, they want to push the Christ out of our hearts and what we have in place of Christ. They want us also to experience the Antichrist. Why seek guidance from the dead? You know, Saul tried to do that. It didn't, it didn't work out very good, and it doesn't seem like it's ever a good thing to try to, to communicate with dead spirits. The Bible actually has a word for that, necromancy. It's, it's trying to communicate with the dead. But the rich man thought, you know, if, if only he could send somebody from the dead back to earth. Um, that would help. And he seemed to be, his focus seemed to be on, on Lazarus. Lazarus who was desiring the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. I'd like to turn now to Matthew chapter 15. That thought of partaking of the crumbs made me think of another parable. Actually, this was not a parable. It was an event. It wasn't just a story. It actually happened. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, it says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. In our opening devotions, Brother Chad, he said something to the effect that the way we view God translates into how we obey God. It's very true and how we respond to God. But I, believe, I, would, I would add to that and say that our view of God also figures into how he responds to us. We need his response in our lives through faith. And this Canaanite woman, much like Lazarus, she desired the crumbs which fell from the master's table. And I don't know if you followed all the thoughts that are in this story or not. Jesus, I believe, is testing her. Now, he has the grace and, the, and the, the goodness to be able to do that because he saw her faith, I believe. 
And he wanted to test her faith in real time. He said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, it is my mission to minister to my brethren, the Jews. And that's what Jesus did through most of his, I would say maybe half of his ministry. If you read through Matthew, around in chapter 12 or 13, he officially cuts off his message and his ministry to the, to the Jews because of their unacceptance of him. And he began to preach to the Gentiles. That was the way it was supposed to work. The Jews were set up to receive the goodness of the Lord. However, this, this lady was a Canaanite lady. And when Jesus pro pronounced that truth, which, which it was true, that he wasn't really sent to minister to the Canaanite ladies. I'm not sure where this came in uh, in the picture in relation to Matthew and that, that pivot point of Jesus' ministry. But the main thing this woman needed, she recognized that it was only the power of God that, that would be able to provide what she needed through the eyes of faith. She saw that Jesus was the Savior, the light that had come into the world. And Jesus threw her another curveball. He said, it is not me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs or give it to the dogs. Meaning it is not fitting to do that. It is not decent or, or acceptable or proper. What was the children's bread in this story, in this parable? And, and you know, this conversation had, had kind of gotten into the weeds a little bit, but the woman was right there. She was attentive. She, she understood to a degree what, what she needed to do and also what Jesus was saying. The children's bread, the children were the privileged people, the Jews, God's chosen people, the people he had brought out of Egypt, the people he had preserved and brought out of Babylon, a remnant. It was the people that Paul had said were committed unto them the oracles of God, the advantaged people, the special people, and in a sense, that's, that's who we are as, as a church of Jesus Christ. It was not proper to take their sustenance, their goodness, and bestow it on the lower class, so to speak, the women. So Jesus used this analogy to, to make a point to this woman. He was giving her a logical reason not to believe, not to come to him. But faith is not always dependent on logic. And in response, this Canaanite woman remained undeterred. In fact, she began to build on that analogy that Jesus had given her with one of her own truth lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from their master's table. The dogs, meaning she was putting herself in that category of dog. Outsider, an outsider that by faith still had access to Jesus. 
And, and one reason this account stands out to me, I guess, is, is, is so backwards from, from our idea of how to reach people. You know, we think we need to present, somehow argue people into the kingdom of God. And to present a good enough argument, a, an airtight enough reason for them, we're, we're trying to bring them in. Um, nothing wrong with that. But somehow Jesus was doing the opposite. And yet this woman, because of the humbleness of her heart and the, and the work that God had done in her heart, there was humility there. God lifts up the humble. He resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. The humble shall hear the praise of the Lord and be glad. And I believe we're in a day when God is, is uh, putting a premium on humility, on the poor in spirit, the lowly in heart, those who may not even be in the fold as of yet, but in their heart, I believe there's good soil. There's a heart that God can touch. And our prayer is that the word of salvation would yet draw people out from the world and from the bondage of darkness, those who can yet hear and respond to God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. 2, verse 9. This is, this is why it's such a privilege to be part of the church. And may we begin to exalt ourselves a little more than we should and we forget those who yet have to receive of the goodness that we have. But one of the blessings of the church, I believe, is, is described here. 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now some people say, well, that, that's pertaining to the next life, and very much so, I think, yes. But the things that God hath prepared also includes things in this life, I believe this life and the next. And I think it speaks of good things. Maybe, maybe if we knew everything that was in front of us in this life, we would say, well, no, that's not a good thing. But verse 10, I think, verse 9 needs to be understood in the light of verse 10, for it says, God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. I'm thankful to be a part of, of a group of believers, I think, that have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we can assemble and meet and discuss things, the deep things of God, and it can help us in our walk and in our journey. In all we do and all we say, in our walk with God, I have to think of the element of charity and the love of Paul that he expressed in 1 Thessalonians when he said, day and night, praying exceedingly that, you, that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. 
There's things that are lacking in our faith. It doesn't mean we're outside the fold. We just need support. We need input. That ye may abound in love one toward another to the end that he might establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, today's Father's Day, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So may God bless us with that uh, understanding and with that desire to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, to be a part of the spirit and the bride. We're in that invitation still is out there to those who have ears to hear, eyes to see the things of God. Shall we have a song?